I remember when uh, I first got here uh, and they told me, hey, you're, you're here to start a, a church. I remember the question that was in my mind. And it's the same question that every pastor who's starting a church has. And, and the question is this. How are we going to get people? How are we going to get people to join us? Uh, we're in this space and it's a great space. But how are we going to convince people to come worship in a storefront? How are we going to convince them to join us in this mission of telling people about Jesus and on this journey toward heaven? I, I remember uh, it was not even a year that I was here and a pastor during the week came to meet with me. And he comes in and he looks around and he, and he says, Boy, this is a tough sell. <laughs> I said, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks for stating the obvious. Um, but because this doesn't look like church, right? This doesn't look like a church. Uh, and so how are we going to convince people to join us, to come and not just try us out, but then to stick around? Maybe it's a question uh, that you've asked yourself. Maybe at first, uh, the first time you, you heard of Peace Lutheran Church, uh, you said, in a storefront? Really? And then you came, and now you've stuck around, and now the question has changed to, well, how am I going to convince my family and friends to come and join us here? Uh, because, yeah, look at the location we're at. And, and, and so we all have these ideas of what's going to grow the church, right? If only we have that program, then people will want to come. If only we have live musicians, then people will surely want to come. What if we have a brand new facility? What if we have a school? Then people will want to come. Then the church is going to be exploding. We, we won't be able to keep all the, all the people in because there will be so many coming, right? We all have ideas on how to grow the church. But perhaps the best way to grow the church is how the early first century Christian church did it. And we're going to look at God's Word today, and we're going to see exactly what that looked like. We're in Acts chapter 2 today, uh, and it's called the Day of Pentecost. Uh, I want to give you the timeline of what's going on, so i got a picture for you uh, that is kind of distorted, but you can kind of see it. So Jesus was born uh, around zero, actually probably around 1 to 3 B.C. is when Jesus was born. Uh, he lived for about 30 year, 33 years on earth, and then he died on the cross on Good Friday. From Good Friday to Easter morning is three days. Uh, we just celebrated Easter two weeks ago. That's when Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the grave. After he rose from the dead, he was on earth for 40 days, appearing to people, showing himself uh, to be alive, that he wasn't a ghost, he was a real human being, raised back to life, uh, showing his disciples. He was on earth for 40 days. And then... He ascended to heaven, right in front of His disciples' eyes. He just started going up until they couldn't see Him anymore. And He was sitting at the right hand of God, where He still sits, ruling all things. Before He left to go up to heaven, He told His disciples, Stay in Jerusalem until I send you the Holy Spirit. And that was a ten-day period. So 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. 
Beginning of chapter 2, I'm going to summarize for you because otherwise we're going to be reading 39 verses today and that's a lot of verses to cover. So, the beginning of chapter 2, the disciples are in a house in Jerusalem behind locked doors. Because why? The Jews who killed Jesus are out in Jerusalem and uh, they know that the disciples were Jesus' followers. So if they killed Jesus, it only makes sense that they're going to kill his followers too. So let's stay behind locked doors. When all of a sudden, they hear what sounds like rushing wind. The sound of a rushing wind uh, is coming through the house. Only there was no wind. It was God the Holy Spirit who came in to the house and sat on top of their heads visibly with tongues of fire. Like a a, a match was lit and just held over their, their heads. And then, a couple miracles happened. Number one... The disciples had the courage to go out behind these locked doors and start preaching Jesus and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to all these Jews. The second miracle was that there were Jews from all over the known world at that time that came to Jerusalem for a festival. And they all spoke different languages. And yet when the disciples went out and began to proclaim Jesus, all these Jewish people heard the disciples in their own language. And so somehow the Holy Spirit uh, miraculously allowed the disciples to speak in all of these foreign languages so that people could understand what they were saying. It was a complete, completely impressive sight. Uh, think about that. All these nations coming together and they can hear and understand the disciples who could only speak Greek or Aramaic. And yet they could understand the gospel. But not everyone was impressed. In fact, a few people said, look at these guys, they're drunk. To which Peter, the head disciple, stood up and he said, hey, men of Jerusalem, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. We're not drunk. But this is what the Old Testament Scriptures said would happen. The prophet Joel, a pastor in the Old Testament, about four to five hundred years before this, Uh, prophesied that this would happen. And Peter quotes that scripture in Acts chapter 2. Here's what he says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, look, guys, this is what the Old Testament said would happen. God, through His pastor in the Old Testament, said this would happen. That the Holy Spirit would be poured out onto all people and He would embolden the church, give courage to the church to preach Jesus. If you're following along in your worship folder, that's our first point this morning. The Holy Spirit has emboldened the church to prophesy. Peter says this scripture is coming 
fulfilled right now. You are witnessing the fulfillment of Scripture because the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And He did two things. Number one, He opened the disciples' minds, the eyes of their faith, to understand what Scripture was all about. Up to this point, they they were still confused as to who Jesus was and what He was ultimately supposed to do. And now the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. Jesus was all about saving us, not for this life, but for the next life, to take away our sins. They finally understood that. And the Holy Spirit gave them the courage to go out and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And notice who who Joel says this is going to happen to. Not just old men who have studied Scripture for a long time, but all people. Did you see it? On sons and daughters, young men, old men, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all people to proclaim God's message. And ever since that day, this prophecy continues to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Christian church of all generations. Even today, He's been poured out on each and every one of you. And He has opened your eyes of faith so that you can understand what Scripture is all about. That you can understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 where he says, God says, I will put enmity, hatred between you and the woman, Satan, and, and the offspring of the woman will crush Satan's head and his work. He's made you understand that even if you turn your back on God and you continue to, God will continue to pursue you over and over again because He is persistent in His love for you. The Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to understand that. And He's also opened your eyes and has given you the courage to prophesy Did you know that you're a prophet? You may be sitting there thinking, well, I don't talk about what's going to happen in the future. Uh, True. But the Old Testament prophets, uh, they were only told people what God told them to say. It wasn't them coming up with what was happening in the future. God told them what was going to happen, and they simply relayed the message. To prophesy means to proclaim God's word. And so every time you proclaim God's Word, you're prophesying because you're relaying God's message to people. And the purpose of our prophesying, the purpose of us proclaiming God's Word is so that everyone calls on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's our purpose, right? That is why we proclaim Jesus so that more and more people are saved. It's like in the children's message, right? So that more and more people enter this circle of Christianity and are saved. But what do we say? Yes, we prophesy. Yes, we proclaim God's Word. But where do we start? What do we say? Well, let's start where Peter starts. And the content of his message starts with who is Jesus? 
I'm going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture to you. Lengthy section. It's not going to be up there. So if you want to follow along, uh, pull out your cell phone. If you have a Bible here, uh, if you have a cell phone app with the Bible, uh, pull that out right now. Acts chapter 2, uh, 22 to 35. Here's what Peter says after he has this. He, he quotes Joel. He says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence." Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When we talk to people about faith, when we talk to them about Christianity, when we talk to them about religion, We have to establish who Jesus is, which is what Peter did, right? Peter said, look, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man accredited to you by many signs and many miracles. He did many of those in your sight. You saw it. And then you saw that he died. But he rose from the dead, and now he has ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because he is God. Jesus is God. That's who He is. And it's important for us when we're talking to others to establish this. Because virtually every person on earth, anyone who knows history, will recognize that Jesus of Nazareth did really live. They will admit that. But it's only Christians who believe God's Word believe that Jesus is God. And it's important because he's not just a good teacher, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a good example for us, he is God. And so the first thing we need to do is establish that. And then the second thing we do is establish what we've done to him. That's your second point. What we've done to him. Here's what Peter says. Right after that, he says, Therefore, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Messiah. We establish what we've done to Him. Pretty harsh, huh? (laughs) Uh, Peter holds nothing back. This Jesus whom you crucified, Jews, you crucified the Lord Jesus, God Himself, the God that you claim to love, the Messiah that you've been waiting for, you crucified Him. Yikes. It's true though. These are the same Jews who stood before the governor Pontius Pilate and shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! These are the same Jews who despised Jesus and rejected Him, who didn't want anything to do with Him. And Peter tells them, You crucified Him. But how can Peter say that? Peter wasn't saying it in a self-righteous way. He wasn't saying it in a, I'm better than you. He wasn't even trying to uh, make them completely despair and, and, I don't know, do who knows what. No, Peter could only say that because Peter knew he was just as guilty. Yes, Peter wasn't there to crucify Jesus. Yes, he wasn't proclaiming uh, crucify Him. But Peter completely denied knowing Jesus when a teenage girl said, you were, you were with them, weren't you? You were with Jesus. Who? Peter said, I, I don't know that guy. Three times. Peter left that man, Jesus, to die by himself. Peter knew he was just as guilty. And so he tells the people, you crucified him because that is what turns people's hearts. The Holy Spirit works through, through hearing what we've done to Jesus to turn hearts. It happened to Peter It happens to us, and these are what the people need to hear. But still, can you imagine the boldness that must take to stand up and say, You crucified Jesus? Could you ever do that? Maybe. Maybe if the person really did, right? And so let me be bold. You crucified Jesus. You crucified Him. And when you hear that, inside, your insides scream out, No, we didn't. We weren't there. But understand this. Every time that you sin, every time that you sin, you hold that cold nail between your fingertips and you hammer that nail through your Savior's hand. Because it was for your sins that He had to die. And understand this, you want to take it a little farther? Every time you purposely sin, where you know God's Word says this, and if I cross that, I'm going to sin, you not only hold the nail to your Savior's hand, but you look Him directly in the eyes, and you still hammer it home. You crucified Jesus. But how can I say that? Because so have I. Every time I sin, I hold my Savior's hand to that cross. And I hold the nail against His hand. 
And every time I sin, I hammer my Savior to that cross again and again. And every time I purposely sin, I look my Savior in His eyes and I nail Him to the cross. I crucified Jesus because it was my sins that held Him to that cross. You crucified Jesus because it was your sins that held Him there. All the world crucified Jesus because it was their sins that held Him there as well. And this is what we need to hear. This is what all people need to hear. Because it's when we hear this that our hearts begin to turn towards Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit works through that message. And yet we don't like to proclaim this message, do we? We don't exactly like to tell people how they've sinned or what they've done. We don't like to do that, right? For three reasons. One, we're people pleasers. We don't like people to be angry at us. We like to deliver good news, not bad news. And people are not going to be happy to hear this. What they've done to Jesus, they're not going to like that. Number two, we don't like confrontation. And when you have to confront somebody about their sin, that's not fun. And number three, we say to ourselves, who am I to tell that person what to do? Yes, I don't condone their actions. Yes, I don't like what they're doing. But who am I to tell that person what to do? Uh, I'm going to go my way and I wish they would do different, but who am I? My friend had that thought when he was in college. He grew up going to a Lutheran high school, heard God's word every day, and he went to high school uh, with a friend who was a girl who also heard God's word every single day. Shortly after uh, high school, first or second year into college, she sends him an email out of the blue, uh, all excited to, to tell him about her new boyfriend. Paragraphs after paragraphs of how wonderful this guy is. And, and finally, uh, one of the last two sentences said, Oh, by the way, he's a married man and he just moved in with me. And my friend just stared at that email. And for a second he had the thought, I wish she wouldn't do that, I don't condone this, but I'm just going to ignore it. And then he said, I can't do that. I have to tell her what she's done to Jesus. And so he wrote out an email. And he ended it by saying, you know what you're doing is wrong, and you know that if you continue down this path, you are on the path to hell. And that's how the email ended. And he sat and he stared at the computer for 15 minutes, debating whether to send it or not. And finally, he hit send. Why? Because people, including us, we need to hear what we've done to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit works through that to turn people's hearts. And yes, people are going to get defensive. Yes, they're not going to be happy. But those words stick in people's hearts and they stick in people's minds and the Holy Spirit works through that. She never responded to the email. But nine months later, she called him. And she said, I want you to know something, that when I read your email, I despised you. I wanted nothing to do with you. I thought you were the biggest jerk to ever live and that I've ever met. But your words touched my heart and I couldn't get them out of my head. And so a week or two later, I left that man. And a few weeks later, I met another guy, and we started dating. And just last week, he proposed to me. And I want you to know, we're attending church, 
We're in a pre-marriage class so that we know what a Christian marriage looks like and how we keep Christ in the center. And I just wanted to call and thank you. Thank you for your email. People need to hear. We need to hear what we've done to Jesus because the Holy Spirit turns our hearts when we hear how we, what we've done to Him. And then we get to tell them good news. Here's how the people responded when Peter told them what they've done. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter says, Guys, repent. Repent. Repentance means this. I I change my mind. I turn it around. So I'm headed this way, and I repent. I change my direction. Complete 180. That's what repentance means. And Peter says, repent, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, Peter not only told them what they've done to Jesus, but what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus died on the cross, He died for all of your sins. Each and every one of your sins have been nailed to the cross with Christ. They are no longer on you. You are completely forgiven. You are guilt-free before God. But in your baptism, Jesus takes everything that He did for you here and He brings it to you personally. He brings this objective truth that all the sins of the world, including yours, are nailed there, and He brings it to you personally in your baptism. When He baptizes you in His name, and He says, your sins are forgiven. And this is huge, because what, is, what do we do so easily? We dismiss people's words, right? We dismiss people's words. Uh, we can hear, you can leave here today, and I can tell you Jesus loves you. And you can leave and say, doesn't apply to me. We can open up the pages of Scripture and we can see, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, but whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And we can say, yeah, that applies to the world, but I'm such a bad person. Can God really love me? We dismiss those words, but God says, let me show you, not just on the cross, but in your baptism. Look back to that. Because in your baptism, what have I done for you? I've forgiven you all your sins. I have washed your sins clean. That's what baptism means, to wash. I have washed all your guilt away. I have washed all your shame, all your embarrassment, completely gone. You stand before me forgiven, loved, eternally. That's what Jesus has done for you. He not only took your sins away, but then He made sure that you know of it in your baptism. And so on those days when we feel really bad about ourselves, when we're not sure how God can love us, we look back to our baptism and say, Ah, yes, that's right. God adopted me. He washed my sins clean. I am forgiven and loved by Him. This is what people need to hear. Who Jesus is what we've done to Him, and what He's done for us. 
And did you notice what else we received? Not just forgiveness in our baptism, but look who else we received. The gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit in our baptism. And what's He do? Opens our eyes to understand the Scriptures. Understand that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection applies to us. And this promise is for you and your children and all whom the Lord our God will call. To grow a church, to grow the Christian church, we don't need gimmicks. We don't need live musicians. We don't need a new facility, a new school. We don't need any of that. What we need is the same thing that the apostles had on that first day of Pentecost. God's Word. That is what we need. Do you know how many people came to faith that day? 3,000 people were baptized. Incredible. You have this same message. We have this same message. And we proclaim it boldly to the world because this is what grows a church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your saving work on the cross. We thank You for giving us baptism uh, to let us know personally that our sins are forgiven. We thank You for giving us this message and we ask You to help us to boldly proclaim that message to all people that more and more people may call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.